You are listening to the Genesis Podcast, a community of faith, love, and hope. As we look to the scriptures, it is our desire to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. How's everyone doing today? Oh, you should stop. You just immediately lower those expectations. Let's start all the way at the bottom. We'll see where we go from there. <coughs> okay. I love that prom dress idea, right? I was looking at all the dresses out there and going, what is happening here? Hey, this is fabulous. You get all bedazzled and come up here and preach. <coughs> I think I, I win for the weirdest prom ever. I went with my then kind of girlfriend and my future wife at the same time. Yeah. So if anyone can top that... We'll share stories, and then we'll just, you know, cry and eat haagen or something. I don't know. I don't know what people do when they have tremendous amounts of shame to overcome. Okay, well, today um, is Valentine's Day, right? And I thought that I would throw a uh, curveball, right, and, and uh, do something unusual for the occasion. So, today we'll talk about love. I know. You weren't expecting that, right? Yeah, that's fabulous. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning that we get to share together. Lord, this opportunity to gather with one another, to open up your word, to study it, to see what it would have to say to us. I pray, God, that you, know, you would minister to our hearts in this place, that we would leave it different you know, than, than when we arrived and Lord, you're always so faithful to do that, Lord, when, when we come to you ready to be moved, open to your, uh, you know, to your, to your gentle chidings and, and, and available. We're not uh, preoccupied and, and, and busy and allowing our, our circumstances to, to cloud what is really important, and, and it is eternally and always you. Everything else flows from that. And Lord, so we're grateful for this time. And I ask God that you would uh, redeem it, speak powerfully, uh, you know, uh, in the duration of it. And we trust that into your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So today, Valentine's Day, uh, we will spend more than $13 billion on love, right? That's bananas, isn't it? We'll spend, uh, or excuse me, we'll send, Boo's taking a picture of me for some reason. Don't do that. Why would you do that? Don't do that. And now you're embarrassed, and I'm sorry. Oh, no. Uh, We'll send more than 180 million cards to express our love. We'll spend uh, almost $200 million uh, on roses alone, right? This uh, cultural association that we've built into love. And 14% of women will spend that money on themselves, will send themselves those roses, which is tremendously sad. Yeah. And 53% of women, this one was shocking to me, 53% of women supposedly in love today will end their relationship by day's end uh, if their man forgets the importance 
of spending money to show love. Yeah, isn't appropriate, Beth. Wow, very good, very good. <laughs> so, so love. Today we're going to be talking about love, and it just may save your relationship, right? So uh, we'll be a good salesman here and really sell the concept of love as, as, uh, as, as a constant here. We need to discuss it. Um, so in all likelihood, uh, today, uh, the, this evening, uh, you'll go out to restaurants <coughs> and you'll see love. You'll see new love. You'll see old love. You'll see those, you know, googly-eyed young romantics, you know, and then they'll be at Denny's or whatever they are. That's where we have our reservations. Six o'clock, right, boo? Yeah. And, and, and you'll observe them, you know, sitting on the same side of their booth, just being gross and obnoxious, you know, calling each other things like snookums or some such nonsense, and eating their, you know, blueberry pancake special with heart-shaped whip topping with one fork, you know, and sharing it back and forth in a blatant disregard for illness associated with germs, right? Because of love, because of love, because of this new love. And, and so many of us remember that moment, that sensation when we, when we got to experience it for the first time, new love. And to our shame and maybe our mortification, right? So does God. So does God. And he remembers that new love moment that we shared with him. And, and maybe, in the passing of time, the, the loss of it. And it's a terrible thing to consider, right? But, but I'd like for us to consider it this morning. I think that it's, it's to our benefit. And there's a really unique passage that deals with this. It's one of the more, more personal and intimate passages in all the Bible where Christ, as, as a husband, speaks to his wife, the church, and, and certainly the, 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 the church it is the bride of Christ, and he speaks to us in this manner um, uh, on this subject. And it's in Revelation chapter 2. So if you would open to that passage this morning, we'll go ahead and study it together. There's much to consider here, and some of your minds are already racing, right? Because you know what's coming in Revelation chapter 2, right? So much to be said about the prophecy in this passage and the eschatology, the association to church history. We could spend days and weeks and months, and, and, and there would be weeping and gnashing of teeth, no doubt, as you tire from listening to me. Uh, but, but if you want to do that, Certainly we can, right? Grab me after the message and we'll nerd out together and we'll discuss all of this. And, and uh, specifically, the association to church history has always fascinated me uh, as we move through the churches, right, in the book of Revelation in, these, in chapter 2 and in chapter 3. But, but th- that will have to, that'll have to remain for another study, right? Because it's not this occasion's objective, right? An objective for the background of this. John, <clears throat> exiled to the the island of Patmos, after a failed execution attempt uh, by Domitian in A.D. 95. Patmos was a prison island, one without walls. It it was uh, surrounded uh, by ocean because it was an island. That's what that word means, right? I just realized how dumb it was for me to explain that. But escape was seen as an an utter impossibility. You're never going to get out, so there's no walls, just Patmos. The name actually means, and I don't know if any of you have ever heard this. I had never heard it. Um, it. It means my killing. 
That, that's what Patmos literally translates to. So they, they would just exile people here, and it was counted to them as death. And you'll just go there, and that will be your own personal killing, right? And, and so each inmate upon the island would embrace this as their present uh, reality, right? And now, and, 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 and now John on Patmos in this rocky, barren, God-forsaken land, you know, would think, here I've come uh, to die. And this is the end. And, and never to share the words of Christ again, and, and never to stand before another church again, never to bring the words of, of life to another soul again in all my existence. And God says, I'm not done with you, John. I'm not done. And in this, in the midst of the wasteland, he redeems it as God so often does so powerfully and so profoundly. And he says, I'm not going to send you to one church, John. I'm going to give you a message specific for seven churches that'll, that then disseminate to all the churches and all the people throughout all of time. And this is what I'm going to do in the midst of your killing. This is how I'm going to redeem this moment and exalt you beyond it. And he begins with this message to Ephesus. And it's the only one we're going to discuss today. I'm not going to... I'm not going to take on too much. I'm already frightening small children, so I'll be brief. I promise. It's just going to be Ephesus today. And, and, um, and you'll have to forgive me, right? Uh, I, I'm not using my usual NIV. Uh, I, I committed this passage to memory years ago with my New American Standard Version. So every other version reading this passage just sounds like an abomination, in my head. So I'm going to read to you from that one. You can certainly follow along. They're not that different. There's just a couple little things in there that, that, that I cherish. Okay, so in Revelation chapter 2, the message to Ephesus, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, right? <clears throat> the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, say this. I know your deeds and your toil and your perseverance and that you cannot tolerate evil men. You put to the test those who call themselves apostles and they're not. And you found them to be false. You have, you have perseverance and you have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember from where you have fallen, repent and do the deeds you did at first or else I'm coming to you and I will remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. This is a very well-known and highly regarded church, the church in Ephesus. You know, Paul planted it, Aquila and Priscilla nurtured it, Timothy, the disciple of, of Paul, um, pastored it. Even John himself spent years there ministering within this city. <coughs> They're highly regarded as a solid church. Right? These people... They really got their act together, right? You'd hear about them, 
And, and then the first thing that you would think of is, wow, these are, these are godly guys. These are really good guys. They got this whole Christianity thing really figured out, really locked down, right? It'd be, it'd be as if you met someone from the church, you know, after service today, right? It, you, were at, you were at Denny's again, and you bumped into them. I don't know why you go to Denny's so often. But, but you were there, and you bumped into them, and you said, hey, what'd you guys do today? And he said, like, yeah, we, we built an orphanage in Honduras today. You'd be like, wow, yeah, it's, it's not even noon. Good night. That is, that's really impressive. And they're like, yeah, you know, 10,000 people. We had a service. They, they came to know Jesus. It's like, oh, man, that is like the entire population of Upland. And they're like, no, that's, <laughs> that's a little north of 70,000. We led those people to Christ last week. And you're like, wow, I am such a loser just <laughs> in every way. I feel awful about myself right now. Right? They're those types of people. They're the dream church, you know, the one that just seems to exist to be Jesus in their day. But, you know, nonetheless, I'd say there's a big difference between me saying, I know your works, I know your deeds, and God saying, I know your works, I know your deeds. Because when God says it, he really knows right? If you read this passage, if you read that line where God says, I know your works, and your first thought isn't, oh no, (laughs) then this is a really good opportunity (laughs) to take a second look at scripture with maybe some fresh eyes, right? God in all of his, you know, omniscience and omnipotence, he knows all, he sees all, He perceives the thoughts and intents of your hearts, and he has the power and full authority to do whatever he wants with that information, right? He he really, he knows it, and he could destroy you with it. And it would be right in that situation to say, oh no, because I would be so angry with myself if I really knew me, right? If I really knew me, I, I would just, completely destroy me. But you know what? Not just me. Here, let's go through an exercise together, right? Let's make this a little bit more interactive. I want you to think of the best person you know. Think of the best person you can possibly imagine. I really want you to do this. Don't just listen to me. Engage your imagination. I want you to get a firm picture of that person in your mind. I wonder how many people are thinking of Beth right now. (laughs) Go ahead. Think of the best person Think of the best person you know. All right, you ready? Everyone there? They're awful. Yeah, they're just terrible, right? And, and you know, I, I, you would you'd maybe think like, you know, no, they're not. Michael, you don't even, you don't, even, you don't really know this person. No, but here's the reality. You don't actually know that person, right? And, and beyond that reality, here's this. None of us really know anyone. I mean, the, the, the actual truth of it is, is you don't know another person on this planet. You don't know a single person on this planet. Not a one of them, right? It, the scripture seems to imply that we don't even really know ourselves. That's why it says in Psalm 139, search me, O God, know my heart, try me, know my thoughts, see if there's any wicked way in me, lead me in the way everlasting. If we don't know ourselves, What chance do we have of actually knowing anybody else? None. Zero. It's never going to happen. Right? 
I'd like to think that I know Boo, right? <coughs> I have loved Corinne. I'll use her actual name, right? <laughs> I have loved Corinne for 15 years now, right? Four years as friends, five years dating, six years married. It's really easy for me to remember that because it's four, five, six. Next year, there's going to be trouble. <laughs> but <laughs> but I've, I've, I've studied that woman like the Dead Sea Scrolls, you know? <laughs> and she still surprises me. She still surprises me. And the mere fact that she has the capacity to surprise me testifies to the truth that I do not really know her. I came home from work a while ago and uh, you know, settled down on my, you know, on my couch because I destroy chairs. I don't know why, but chairs don't like me. So I settled down on my couch and I turned on Netflix. <coughs> and in the recently viewed list, there was Twilight. I know. There's Twilight there. It said, you just watch this, right? And, and you know that movie with like the vampires and the werewolves? We're on the same page. You don't sound as shocked as you should be, right? With the girl that only can make one face, right? You know, like the handsome vampires. Like, I love you. And she's like, and like what are you trying to get at here? I have no idea what's going on with your face, right? Like, but that was on the recently viewed list. <coughs> and, and I remember just looking at her and saying, you watched... Twilight while I was at work? And she said, I've watched all of them while you were at work. And honest to God, the first thing that came out of my mouth was, who are you? (laughs) You know, 15 years and she is still a Rubik's Cube to me. I just can't figure out. And you know what? It's... That God says that, 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 that this, this reality is, is universal. That this is with everyone. This is even in your own heart. You'll never be able to figure yourself out. <laughs> right? But he, he individually, individually knows all of us. Every little thing about every single, every single one of us. And that should, that should scare us a bit. You know, that, that, that terrible thought that you had that you would never dream of bringing to utterance. And, and he's there like, yeah, I heard that. That was, wow, where did that come from? You know, that, that's, that thing that you, you whispered maybe to a friend and he said, don't tell anyone. And God's like, they probably will, but you're awful. That thing that you just did is awful. And the people that we carelessly hurt, or the people that we just completely ostracize are all the times that we, that we shut up our mouth and block out eternity from another person for another day. He sees all of that. Now listen, he scours through it all. And really hear me here, right? He scours through the lot of it not for our shame and condemnation, but for our glory and exaltation. Never for our shame and condemnation. Always for our glory and exaltation. He knows it all, and he never weaponizes it against us. In fact, it was already weaponized against him on the cross. It's already all dealt with. He simply seeks 
our sanctification in the midst of it all. He has no reason to do that. Have you ever thought about that? I think we just take that for granted. He has absolutely no reason to do that. He could do anything with that information. It's love that compels him. It's love that compels him. And so so it is love that he now exhorts us to consider because at the root of, of all of, of this wrongdoing is our lack of love. It's found in our lack of love. And so without love, no amount of good deeds really matter. And that's what Ephesus really brought to the table, isn't it? You look back again at verse 2. It says, all of your, your toil, all of your perseverance, and yet somehow... You've been lost to me. You don't love me. You just keep on doing what you've always done. You've been so diligent, so dutiful, right? And somewhere along the line, you, you slipped out of that booth, right? You went to the opposing side. You settled down, got your own fork, ordered your own meal. You stopped sharing all of this with me. This new love relationship that we had together has been completely lost. I'll never forget some time ago when, when uh, you know, Boo and I first got married. <coughs> Before we had kids, we were at a restaurant. I believe it was Caro's this time, not Denny's. <laughs> we're, we're the really happening crowd, aren't we? Yeah. You know, as, as Sam gives me a call periodically. This has nothing to do with the message. But, um, but he gives me a call periodically, and he'll say like, hey, you know, uh, we're going to, what, what's that burger place in Claremont that Sam always goes to? Eureka, there it is. Because we're going to Eureka, Right, or there's like a brewery in Claremont also that has good burgers. You know this one too? It's also really, it's the Back Abbey, right? Yeah. And he's like, we're going to Eureka, we're going to Back Abbey. And I'm like, yeah, maybe just Caro's, you know? Really, it's quiet, you know? know, Like loud, pulsing, rhythmic music. You know, it's just me and my pea soup. That's that's all I'm looking for in a night out here. But, but, um, but we first got married, and, and we went to, I think it was Caro's, and Boo and I were holding hands across the table, <coughs> as, we, as we still, you know, often do for whatever reason, probably because we're gross, right? But we're holding hands there, sitting, you know, across the table from each other, and we're just, you know, staring at each other, and, and uh, our eyes wandered to this, this older couple um, that... Throughout the entirety of the time that we, you know, settled down and reviewed the menu and placed our order and ravenously consumed our food and then, you know, uh, you know paid the bill and were waiting to leave, they had not said a word to each other. Not a word the entire time. Hardly even looked at each other. And I'll never forget, you know, Boo looking at me and saying, that's not going to be us, is it? Right? And I, I squeezed her hands, and I said, oh, sweetie, probably. <laughs> <laughs> but, but what a tragedy, right? What a tragedy. And in, and in verse 5, you see this, right? Take another look at verse 5. He says, you've left your first love. You've left this new love. Remember. Remember from how far you have fallen. Remember. I look at those, those stoic statues sometimes in restaurants 
and I can't help but think of, of you know, myself at times with God and how easily I can neglect him and how sometimes I can be uh, so impassive in my observations of his presence and of his, 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 his movement. And, and, and they might well say if you walked up to him and said, you know, what's going on with you two? You even love each other? You know, the man would say, well, I take out the trash. Of course I love. Right? The woman would say, hey, I made his breakfast. Of course I love him. Right? And, and they'd say to each other, well, we still kiss each other goodbye, you know, before we leave the house. Right? They'd say, I, I still, you know, say I love you to her on our anniversary or something. Right? That, that's love right? And it sounds so much like me sometimes. I could say, I still go to church, right? And I still, I still pray before meals, right? I still, you know, like carry my Bible around most of the time in my car, Right? That's, that's love, right? No, but we're, we're Ephesus. How we become Ephesus, and it's so easy. But listen, they're not the same. He was never after your works. He's always been after your heart. And yet we, like those you know, distant strangers, right, that only share wedding bands in common, Right at the restaurants, we we lie to ourselves, don't we? And and even even today, some of us are still maybe contending with this lie and saying no, no. I mean, it's it's essentially the same. But work is never indicative of love, and we know that. We 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 know that it's always it's always been more than that. But I want to take us a step beyond that. Okay? Because what's more is this. You chose, right, returning to Kairos with this couple. You chose, you chose this person, which you are now awkwardly sharing a booth with, <coughs> joined only by name. You're the Smiths, we're the Christians. Joined only by name over billions of others over billions of others, you said, this is the one that I will be with over billions of others because this one is better than billions. That should have been in our wedding vows. You are better than billions. That was a decision that you made, that I made, that we all made when we chose Christ. There was a time when you saw him and inappropriately responded with love. And that love, and this is important, looked like affection and attention. It looked like closeness and discourse. That's what it looked like. I repeat that. It looked like affection and attention. It looked like closeness and discourse. You never see someone on a first date showing up there. Hi, I'm Ted. 
I'm going to show you that I love you. Give me your trash. And she's going to go, wait a minute, who are you? Don't talk to me. Don't talk. We don't talk. We don't talk. Give me your trash. That's how you'll know. That's how you'll know that I love you. The trash. You'd never see that. You would think that that person was radically insane. But yet somehow we have lived comfortably with this lie for far too long. Right? And we stare silently at our ham sandwiches thinking that this is, this is enough. And we're comfortable with, with where we're at without uttering a word. Except, and I'll add this, to complain. Because um, I've noticed this. I live in fear of this as a person that now has, has children. right? Because I will go to restaurants and see these stoic statues and they're almost always the first persons people persons mary i don't know they're always the first they're always the first people in those restaurants to to begin to furrow their brow or groan and grumble or invoke the assistance of a waitress when my children behave as children and laugh or for a moment maybe cry or or spill something. It just kids being kids. And, and it's, it's as if when they lost their first love. It's as if when, when they lost that, they, they lost the capacity to love in an appropriate and a biblical manner with forgiveness and patience because hate comes so easily in the absence of love. It becomes very easy to hate and then that, that's what this church did very well. You must admit that. He says, yeah, you, you look at all these people that come into the church and say, yeah, we're apostles. And they're like, no, we hate you, get out, right? <laughs> and these Nicolaitans that were coming into these churches, they, these, these, uh, they, they, these cultists that believe that um, intermingling uh, pagan practices like you know, the, these kind of uh, you know, eating a food sacrificed to idols and, and uh, drunken orgies in the temple of Diana, that these things were okay just as long as you went to church on Sunday. And, and they said, no, we hate that. And God said, yeah, I hate that stuff too. It's appropriate to hate sometimes, right? But does that ever actually cure the problem? No. It, it, love is the one that conquers all of this. Love is the one that, that overrides it all. Hate will come easy in the absence of love, but it will never be a powerful substitution for love. It'll never be a transformative one. When we have forgotten love, all we will have left is hate. And sometimes it's rightly applied and sometimes it's wrongly applied. And, and he says, listen, you're missing what is greater than all of this. And, and it's, it, it's love, Hating the misdeeds of the world will do nothing to change them, but love, love will because love conquers hate. Love conquers hate. It's already conquered. All the, the hate of the world on the cross, and it will conquer it within us and then through us in this world. So now what do we do now? All right, let's move to the, uh, uh, some, some practical application for this. How do we break this loveless cycle? And uh, as usual, we'll go through some, some points here. I have three of them, right? <clears throat> the first one 
is in verse 5, and it says, Therefore, remember from where you have fallen. <coughs> if you're a note-taker, you can write down remember. Remember from where you have fallen. It's amazing to me that Jesus calls this falling. Right? Jesus calls this falling. I would normally think of falling as like some heinous misdeed, you know, like blasphemy or murder or, I don't know, like not loving the new Star Wars movie, right? But he says, this is it. This is it. This is, this is falling. You guys have, have fallen. You need to remember where you began, and then you need, to, you need to repent. And listen, for just a moment, I want to invite you right, to, to go on this kind of journey with me. I want you to be open and, and honest with yourself right? As we, as we remember together. Can we remember for just a moment where we first met Jesus? Can we remember where we were? We remember what we were lifted out of, what we were saved from, why, why we chose him, the fact that he chose us. Can we remember? We remember all of that. Can we remember seeing for the first time like the blind beggar? Can we remember walking for the first time like the paralytic? Can we remember being clean for the first time like the leper? Can we remember breathing for the first time after death, like Lazarus? Can we remember running out of our house, determined to repay all of our debts, like Zacchaeus? Can we remember stepping out of the boat, finally understanding the meaning and purpose of our life, the very first time, like Peter? I was all of them, and they were me. They were you, too. Do you remember the one that sits across from you now? What you've been missing, what you've been neglecting, what you've been diminishing, the one that you chose over a billion others, the one that I chose over a billion others and are we just going through the motions like the Ephesians doing all these things because they're good things to do because they're the right thing to do and yet somehow missing the point in our church attendance and our donations and our doctrinal convictions he wants our love so remember and then second second is repent not a word that we love to hear repent not a word that's commonly used anymore. But you must admit that all of those stories began with some degree of repentance. And that's how our story began too. Without repentance, there can be no reconciliation. And this merits repentance. He, he tells us that. And it's more than an, 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 an admission. It's a decision. It's a decision to change your direction fundamentally. To say, you know, I've been going in the, the, this direction and I'm, I'm, going to, I'm, I'm going to completely turn around 
and go in a different direction. And nowhere is this better stated uh, than Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Acts 3, 19, Peter says this. He says, therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. This is it. This is how you get in that presence of the Lord that brings refreshing, that washes away all the old, that brings in all the new. He says, remember and then repent. When I was a younger man, um, unable to afford um, much of anything, I was given by my grandfather the sweetest gift you could give a budding young adventurer. An 89 Oldsmobile Cutlass Sierra. And it was powdered blue, the color of every leisure suit I've seen in a movie, right? (coughs) And I loved that car passionately. I felt like such a like such a big shot driving around in that car. It's the, the only car to date that I've ever actually been able to work on, right, beyond just like changing the oil because I'm not that kind of guy, right? But I, I, I replaced the alternator in that car. And I'll never forget, you know, putting down the sockets. Bob, yeah, you need that. for. I'm going to go ahead and call the socket. So I remember putting it down and, you know, putting the belt back on and everything else and looking in that engine and saying, there it is, car, just you and me against them all. And I still have no idea what I meant by that, but I said it. (laughs) I said it. It just felt right in the moment to say that. And I love that car, but of course, there uh, there came the day that the adoring eyes of another young man fell upon that car a young man like, like myself years before that lamented in his impoverished state, saying that he would never be able to afford something so magnificent. And so I discussed it with my parents, and we put the keys in his hand, and we said, it's yours, absolutely free of charge. Absolutely free of charge. And he was, he was giddy. I mean, he was really overjoyed. He he hugged us and he cried and, and he drove it until the brakes began to grind and then he abandoned it on the side of the road and left it. <coughs> Didn't expect that, did you? <laughs> the first sign of a relational bump in the road and he quite literally parked that car a mile, a mile away from his house and just got out and walked away. I left it somewhere around 4th and Campus in Ontario. I still drive by that spot and just go, how could you? (laughs) How could you? I love that car. His mom told me the story when I discussed it with her. She she said that he just came home one day. He's just sweaty. She said, what happened? Where's your your car? And he said, well, the brakes started grinding. So I parked it. She's, wait a minute, where? Like outside? He's like, no, somewhere in Ontario. She's like, wait a minute, what? What did you, what did you, you're going to fix it, right? I mean, you're going to go back and get it, right? You're going to re- reclaim that, right? And he said, yeah, you know, maybe. And maybe became one day, and one day never came at all. 
until his mother, that absolute saint of a woman, went down there herself and got that car, fixed it up, and she, she sat me down. We, went, we met at Starbucks. She said, it's mine now. And I said, yeah, it is. And she said, he just abandoned it. And I said, that's true. She said, he doesn't deserve it. And, and I said, yeah. And she said, so I'm taking it. And I said, preach. <laughs> but you know what? I think it was the, the Sunday after that, just a couple of days later, he pulled up to church and he was in that car once again, behind the wheel. Now listen, the text doesn't say, and I think this is important, the text doesn't say that you lost your first love. Right? It says, you left your first love. You left it. This was a decision that you made somewhere along the line where you began to accept other things in its place and thought, this is okay, I'm fine with doing this. I'm going to leave it. You abandoned it. That relationship that you coveted, right? You were given it absolutely free of charge, but at great expense to the giver. You had no way in the world getting this for yourself. There's zero possibility. It's just free. Here it is. And you took it and you recognized what it was. That car and what Christ gave us, one and the same, liberating salvation. That's what you saw in that moment. Liberating salvation. He says something changed over time. The shine wore off. You hit a bump in the road. It began to to grind and demand attention. And you just stepped out closed the door, and you walked away. You just walked away. And, and here's the truth. Here's the truth. No one can go back and reclaim that thing for you. Absolutely no one. You have to make the mile-long walk yourself. You have to make the mile-long walk yourself begins with remembering. It begins with changing directions. And that's what repentance is all about. It just means that to stop walking away, just to turn around and go back. It's waiting for you. You know exactly where to find it. This isn't a mystery. He's, he's not being cheeky and elusive. He says, just repent, just go back. You know where it is. But you have to do this for yourself. And now finally, how we fix it. First, remember. Next, repent. Turn around. Go back. And then third, repeat. Repeat. He says in verse 5, repent and do the deeds you did at first. Return and repeat. I love this. I missed this for years. If I were being completely honest with you, I missed this for far too long. I assumed for years reading this passage about leaving your first love, this separation, this disconnect, this chasm created over years of neglect, that that what I needed to do was was repent and say, God, you know, I'm sorry, I'm tremendously sorry, and then just try my best to love now. And then that's how you 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 get over this whole thing. And and I, I feel awful. And I realize what I've done, and, and I just need to love you appropriately. And, 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 but, but 
you know, work and, and family and, and finances and everything. And I'm just so busy and I need to get back. But invariably, invariably, uh, I'd fall back into the, this, this cloud, the, these cloudy complications created by my, my current circumstances. I'd fall back into all of that and it would just, uh, I'd be right back where I began. But he doesn't say return and love. Just stir it up in your heart and come on back. It's not what he says. It's not what he says. He says, return and repeat. Do the things that you did at first. You know, this is great relationship advice really for anyone. A day like this, maybe this is something to take into consideration. If you want to revive that relationship, all you need to do is pay attention to Jesus right now. Return and do those things that you did at first. He says, hey, remember the stuff that you did when you loved me? Because let's be honest, we're not there right now. But remember what that was like. Remember all those things that you did back then. Do that stuff again. Right? This isn't taking out the trash stuff, is it? Right? This is affection and attention kind of stuff. Right? This, is, the, 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 this is closeness and discourse kind of stuff, whatever that looks like for you. And it's different for all of us. <clears throat> I was up at my parents' house not that long ago for a visit. Miles you know, took me by the hand, as he, as he often does whenever we're up there. And, and he takes me over to the staircase, and he says, let's go play. He takes me up to my old room. Right? The room that I used to play in as a kid has been completely converted, and now it's a playroom for him with, I'm going to be honest, kind of creepy paintings on the walls, but... <laughs> They're from children's books, so I guess I'm supposed to just turn a blind eye to that. <coughs> and uh, we go up there, and, and he instantly goes uh, to this gigantic you know, dollhouse in the corner. Because I guess we're like, we're a modern family that doesn't observe traditional gender boundaries. And we're just like, yeah, go play with your dolls, sweetie. That dollhouse, it's all yours. <laughs> and so he's playing with his dollhouse, <coughs> and I was sitting on the floor, and, and I began to stare at this you know, kind of empty space on the floor. And for whatever reason, I, I began to replay some of, these, some of these moments from my childhood of the, the life that I lived in that room you know, before I moved out, before I got married, before everything, right? <clears throat> and, and so I began to tell Miles about all this, which I often do. And, and I'm sure he just thinks that I'm insane because of it. Because uh, on that particular day, we began to s- discuss the furniture arrangement in the room, right, before I moved out, which is maybe an odd thing to discuss with a three-year-old, but I've never been good at that. So I said, you know, Miles, when Daddy was growing up in this room, before Uncle Brian came back from the army and annexed this room, and I moved across the hall, right, because I don't know why he did that, but he came back and planted his flag there and said, totally my room now, and I got out because he was a warrior, and (laughs) always been more of a lover. And I said, you know, back when Daddy was in this room, I had this huge oversized card table right here, right in the middle of this room. I mean, just obnoxiously big for the size of the room, because it is rather small. I remember having to, you know, go sideways, you know, in like this kind of labyrinth to my bed, you know, and... I said, you know, and on that card table, Miles, I had this 
again, you know, with no, I, I guess, like normal size equivalency for a thinking person. Huge boombox that sat on that table. And I would sit about three inches away from it. And, uh, and I would have my notebook you know, on my left, my Bible on my right, and, and Eric, right, a name that will sound familiar to many of you, uh, but didn't to Miles. He was, he was pretty confused. He's met Eric once. <laughs> but but uh, Eric was attending Bible college at that time, and part of a requirement for the school is to listen to Chuck Smith through the Bible, you know, at that time, cassette tapes. And, and I remember once asking him about those cassette tapes, and he'd be like, oh, man, they're so boring. And, and I said, you know what, I'd like to listen to a couple of them. And he gave me, uh, the, the next weekend when I saw him, an entire box of them. Right, Jason, you remember these boxes. How many cassette tapes were in a box? Hundreds. Yeah, we're talking like hundreds in a box. He just, he's like, here you go, he listened to a couple. And I'm like, yeah, those are not synonymous, couple and hundreds. But, you know, so he brought me this box. And then he came back the next weekend and he said, how'd you like those? And I said, I just finished Exodus. They're amazing. I just, I can't stop. And, and this notebook is just filled with, you know, the scribbling notes of an insane person, you know, with like annotated margin notes soft to the side. And, and I, I, I was telling Miles, you know, this, this is what I would do every day after school. I'd come up to this room, I'd pull up my chair to the card table, I'd put in a new cassette tape, and then one after another, until it was time to go to bed, I would, I would listen. I stared at that open space on the floor near my son's dollhouse, where the card table once stood. And I wondered, have I lost something? Have I... Have I lost something that I used to have that was so pure and perfect and profound in my relationship to Christ? And I, I remembered. I remembered that, that, that new love. I remembered that, that first love. And listen, over the years, I've found myself sitting on the opposite end of the booth more than a few times. My own fork, my own plate, my own existence just within proximity to the one that I happen to share a ring with, the one I happen to share a name with. I chose him over billions, and yet there I am, stoic and speechless, dry and loveless, his by name only. Listen, I don't know if I've ever told you guys this. Honestly, I don't know if I've ever told anyone this. But card tables, right, and old cassette tapes, notebooks with scribbled notes, that's how I keep coming back. That's it. That's, that's the avenue. That's that's what works for me. And I don't know why. I don't know if it's just the way I'm wired. But we're all different. It's, it's, it's just the way I guess we're, we're created. There's something in us. And maybe it was a time when, when you prayed 
Maybe there was a time when you, when you read. Maybe there was a time when you took walks and talked out loud like you know, you're schizophrenic or something and, and people would stare at you, but it didn't matter to you because that was your time with Jesus. That was it. For you, he says you need to come back to that. You know, and, and today it's changed. Today I don't have a card table. <laughs> today I don't have cassette tapes. It doesn't have to be exactly the same. I downloaded Evernote, right? I have it on my phone, on my tablet, on my computer, and it all syncs automatically. And, and I'm, I'm 60 chapters in to a devotional that I'm writing for my sons. And, and every single time, Every single time, I, I make an entry to it. I'm sharing a booth with my Savior again. Instantly. There's no effort. It's just I'm there. Instantly. This isn't the type of thing that you should hear and you should mourn. You should lament and say, I've fallen so far. How do I get back? I just need to love more. It's no. You just need to remember where you left that car because it's still there and then affection and attention closeness whatever it was for you whatever that looked like for you it comes with this promise where he says in verse 7 to him who overcomes I will grant to eat of the tree of life which is in the paradise of God and we'll end with this this is the promise the moment you do that the moment you remember, the moment you repent and turn around, the moment you, you repeat. I'm not going to hold back my love you know, from you. I'm not going to punish you. I'm not going to say, no, I've moved on. You had your chance. He says, no, the gates of paradise are thrown open for you. You come right in. This is where I've always wanted to you to be. You should have never left in the first place. But I'm so happy to have you back. Let's go ahead and pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for this, this passage, God, that, that has such practical truths for us today that we can consider where we were and how close to you we were what we did when we were in that place of, of excitement. Lord, and just abounding joy that comes with new love. And Lord, it's never too late to return to that again. It's never too late to say, that's what I want again. It's never too late to reclaim those those old actions, the old card tables, and maybe, maybe even add some new ones to it, God, that we can give you what you deserve, we've always deserved. You are still the one to choose over billions. I love you, Lord. Praise you. Thank you for this day. In Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. 
we invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.